0: The John Morris Show, episode 130. The John Morris Show, your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Hey everybody, welcome back to The John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. So this episode, I I was recently asked about the annual salary. So the, the question was, how about web developers making Uh, what they make annually working for a company and then ask can you talk about the salary journey of the first five years skill levels titles opportunities and going out on your own and so I I, I wanted to do an episode where I really kind of dove into the whole money side of things the salary what you can earn some of the things that maybe you should do to help yourself earn a little bit more and so forth so that's what we're going to get into in this episode before I do that so you may have. If you listen to the last episode, then you'll know that I talked about all of this kind of ongoing talk that we seem to constantly get and these kind of fake questions asking, is PHP dead? And so I went into some of the main arguments that people often make about why they think PHP is dead. Usually it's a technical argument because they don't like the language and so they think it's crap and that's going to make the language die or is making it die now or the other one is a popularity argument that they often make and they'll reference cherry-picked indexes that that support their their position while ignoring a lot of the other what I believe are more accurate indexes and and market share statistics and things that Google itself has said and so forth in order to make this argument that PHP is dead. And so I think I fairly thoroughly debunked this idea that PHP is a dying language. At the very least, it's maintaining where it's at. It might even be able to be argued that it's growing. So as a result of that, as you can imagine, I got a number of emails and comments and so back. Now, I should point out, the overwhelming majority of people actually agree with me on this and had positive things to say. So I don't want to misconstrue that there was all these people that were sending me these negative comments. There weren't. The The overwhelming majority of people agreed with what I had to say. But I did get these handful of people who didn't really agree with what I was saying and and had some choice words for me. Now, I bring this up. Because I wanna point out this is this is what I see so often. The responses I got back were not, hey, you know, you were talking about the PYPL index and, you know, I, I've heard of that index, and here's why I think this particular part of the index throws things off and maybe skews the numbers a little bit. And here's why I think the the Tyobi index is maybe a little more. That wasn't what I got, or it wasn't. Hey, you know this technical thing of part of PHP. You know it, it works this certain way, and I I, I think that's just a, a natural limitation. And PHP will never be able to do this, 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 and this. That wasn't what I got either. The responses that I got were along the lines of "You're an idiot," "Screw you," "You're stupid," very very childish, really non-arguments. And I find so often that the people that like to criticize PHP, now again, it's not everybody. Okay. I know there's like this guy out there, this girl out there is listening just going, okay, I'm gonna write you now because of the I get it, it's not everybody, but so often that's what you get. I mean, the the comments that I get when I do PHP tutorials or PHP videos. That's exactly what they'll be. There'll be some childish content that'll be like, ha ha ha, LOL, PHP. PHP's a dead language. You're a loser. Like that's the kind of argument that you get. You never get someone or almost never get someone who really actually takes the time to make a well -thought thought out argument. And so that's why I wanted to create the episode I did last time in the first place was just to address all of this childishness And I think I was pretty open with the fact that I I said, you know, PHP could die. I'm not saying it can't die. I'm also not saying that you're not necessarily right that there's certain things about PHP that you don't like, that don't work in a certain way, that are natural disadvantages. All I'm asking you to do, all I'm asking you to do is simply be objective about it. To apply the same standard to the languages you love that you do to PHP. To, if you're going to point out the disadvantages of PHP and the positive things about your language, point out the disadvantage of your language and the positive things about PHP. Also, you know, maybe be objective and be honest about the fact of PHP's market share, the things Google has said and had to do, the, the different indexes and so forth and where it ranks and how legitimate those indexes are and are not. And if you have an argument to make, then make it. But let's quit with this childishness of I want to feel better about myself, so I make fun of PHP. It's the same thing I see among a lot of PHP developers about WordPress. It's, it's not about the argument. It's not about truth. That's not what it is. It's about making yourself feel better. Like you're a superior coder because I would never to dirty myself with PHP. Or I'd never dirty myself with WordPress. Enough. I, I get that the wars are are fun and they can, but if we're gonna have a a language war, let's at least have a a real intellectual battle, not this stupid name calling and 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 self esteem boosting nonsense that happens to go on. So, I just wanted to follow up from <laughs> my my little talk in the last episode about PHP. Regarding some of the responses that I got, I was hoping that I would get someone who would actually give a well-reasoned response and I could address that in this episode or a future one. I'm still holding out hope for that, but I don't think it's worth going through each one of the childish you're stupid you're an idiot comments because they just have there's nothing there, there there's nothing there to really <laughs> talk about too much it's just it's just pure nonsense uh, and again, like I said, is the reason why I wanted to talk about it in the first place. Now, the last thing I'll address, because I had, I had not too many, but a couple of people mentioned this, is you absolutely could make the argument that I'm biased about PHP because I teach a PHP course. Right? So anyone looking at it could say, well, he's only saying PHP is not dead because he's trying to defend his, his, his course and himself. And he's got a, he's got a vested interest in it. And I'll give you that. I'll concede that to you. I'm, I very well could be biased. However, that in and of itself is not an argument. If That, that, that saying, all that does is give you a lead-in to maybe look at it further. But if you actually want to make an argument against what I'm saying, you have to look at what I actually said. All that is is just some ad hominem that doesn't really mean anything. It's not actually an argument. Okay, so it's entirely true that I could be biased, but I still made an argument. And if you want to refute it, you have to actually address the points that I made. All right, so with all that said, coming up in the next segment, I'm gonna have to take a break here in a minute, but coming up in the next segment, I'm gonna dive into this salary thing. But before I jump off of PHP. If you remember from last episode, I just released module 2 of my PHP 101 course. And in that, it's the I call it the next level of PHP development because we get into more advanced things like sessions and cookies and we at by the end of it we built build a multi-page form that as you click around in it all the data is retained from page to page, which is the kind of multi-page form that clients really are after. It's the kind of form that, that, that really kind of wows clients. They're like, this is exactly what I need. I need it so when they go from page to page, you know, they may have a 10-page application and people may need to go back to the previous page. Well, they don't want to lose all of their data. And so, again, I mention all the time, companies like WooFo Forms and SurveyMonkey, those types of forms and these companies that have made millions and billions of dollars, this is the kind of the core of what they do. Is building these kind of forms. So I don't say point that out to, to try and insinuate that you're somehow gonna be a millionaire or billionaire doing this, or that there's not more to what those services provide. Obviously, there is. What I'm pointing out is that there's a market for this kind of thing, and that market is fairly big. So learning how to do this is a skill that can is immediately marketable which is what I always try to point you guys to and point point out to you is skills and and learning code and end results ultimately that are immediately marketable and this is one of those. And that's why I made it a part of module 2 of the PHP course because I wanted to give you that marketable skill. Right now, I'm in the middle of launching module 2, so you can get access to module module 1 and module 2 if you Uh, not a student of module one yet. You can get access to it for $10 off. So normal price to get both modules be $27. You can get them for 17 at johnmorrisonline.com slash bundle. You can get access to that. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into talking money, what developers make annually, some of the salary journey, and so forth. You're listening to John Morris show on johnmorrisonline.com. You know, One of the big mistakes that I see a lot of developers make is they make learning how to code much harder than it has to be. For example, I see a lot of developers who think the list of skills that they need to learn to master PHP is pages and pages and pages long. (laughs) It's not. Now, I've said this before and I will definitely say it again, but there's a foundational set of skills That you need to learn in order to be functional as a PHP developer, meaning that you can execute on projects and get paid. This is the fallacy that is so prevalent in the PHP developer community, that there's this ideal set of skills that you have to learn and that you have to be the absolute greatest developer in the history of mankind in order to be able to get paid to code. You don't. You simply need to be able to execute on projects. I talk about end results all the time. You need to be able to deliver end results to clients because that's ultimately what they want. But when you focus on these foundational skills and learning only those first, the things that will allow you to execute on projects, what you realize is that you can start getting paid to code Much faster than you probably ever thought because you haven't set this idealistic, unattainable bar for yourself to reach before you allow yourself to take paid work. You can start now when you can execute on a deliverable, when you can complete a a single project, when you can create a contact form or a business website, when you can execute on that, you can start. And you could start then building the life that you wanted, that you got into this all for the, in the first place, instead of continuing to slave away at some job, making somebody else rich. Anyway, you can learn these skills in my free course, The Beginner's Guide to PHP, which you can enroll in at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. And it's going to teach you these foundational skills so you can get started right now. Again, it's a completely free course that you can take at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. Don't wait on this. Head over there right now and get started building that life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. So this is... this. The whole idea was sparked from a question that I got the other day. I believe it was off of a YouTube video. And it was a video I'd done in the past about developer salaries. And I talked kind of about the, the different numbers and so forth that are out there. And so the follow-up question is, you know, what about developers and they making annually working for a company? And then can you talk about the salary journey of the first five years, skill level titles, opportunities, and going on your own and so forth? So I want to do two things. Well, three things, really. I want to go back through a little bit what I covered in that original video because I imagine a lot of you probably haven't seen it, so I don't want to make you go back over and watch it. So I'm going to go through some of what I went through because I think it is eye-opening and and at the very least good information for you as someone thinking about investing in this kind of career and, and putting your time into it to see what's really out there and and maybe some of the trends. and. Then I want to I talk about my journey a little bit, but I understand my journey is really a little bit unorthodox, and so then I want to talk a little bit about uh, someone I know and their journey, which is probably a little bit more of a standard type journey, and and that way you can get a few different perspectives on this whole salary issue. All right, so starting off, when we start looking at numbers, I like to use, first off, I think the source is important. Okay. Because you could go to a lot of different places and see a lot of different numbers. And it's important to understand that where you live changes this quite a bit. You know, if you live in say California or New York, which tend to just have higher costs of living, the wages are also going to be higher. Now that's going to be offset by the fact that you're going to pay more for food and rent and so forth, but that's kind of the nature of the beast. So you have to Whenever you're looking at salaries, you have to understand that location has plays a part in that. If you live outside of the United States, again, that's going to play a part in it. So, but there's always a balance between wages and cost of living. What you want to try to do, obviously, is find a place or a location that has a higher wage but a lower cost of living what that's going to mean is that you're actually going to have more expendable income left over because you're going to be getting paid more, but have being able to pay less for the things that you need, food, rent, etc. Right. So, and location is probably the main way. So people get so focused on the idea of moving up in their career and titles and that being associated with income and maybe don't think as much about cost of living and location and so forth. So, I I want I just want to point that out that location can be a, a big way where you can, maybe you make you know 70,000 instead of 80,000, but the cost of living is so much more that you just have, you feel and really are wealthier because you have more income left over. So location is something to pay attention to when you're thinking about all this. But getting back to the original point, the source of the information is important as well. Now, I like to use indeed.com and the reason I like to use indeed.com and I'm open to hearing if there's a better tool out there, but I've generally stuck to indeed because indeed is a job search search engine. So there's tons and tons of different jobs that are from all over the place that are posted on indeed. And so the data that they're using, to compile for different wages for different developers and so forth isn't, it's not some survey or what people think it's from the actual jobs that are posted on their site. Now I know that's can be inherently limited because not everybody's going to post their job on here, but I think when you get into accuracy of information and where you would actually go to look for a job, It's it's gonna be it's gonna give you some good numbers and some good ideas because these are the actual jobs that are out there. So again, I just want to point out that the source of the information is important, and I use Indeed. Feel free to use another source if you feel uh, that it's you know more better or whatever. But I I think looking at actual numbers from actual job postings is a good way to go. So with that said, the average salary. For the search PHP developer, right? Which would be kind of the common thing that you would think people would work look for. The average salary on indeed.com for that search is $87,000. And that's accurate as of August 22nd, 2016, which is the date of this recording. And if you look on the index there, that's actually up a little bit from 2013. So in you know, right about the beginning of 2014, that salary took kind of an uptick. Now, this index isn't showing 15 and 16 results yet, so it very well could have dropped right back down, but it does show kind of a a, a little bit of an increase at the end of 2013. So $87,000 is the average salary for that search. Now, nice thing about Indeed is that they'll actually show you some related searches for that term. And so these are relevant type terms. So for example, junior PHP developer. So those of you who are maybe in another industry or you're in college and you're looking to get into PHP development and you know that when you apply, you're going to be going into a junior level position, an entry level position, then the average salary for a junior PHP developer on Indeed.com is 51000 So it's quite a bit less than the average, but it makes sense why. Because it's not a senior position, it's a junior position. But I'll tell you, 51000 as an entry-level position, I think most people in a lot of un- other industries would certainly take that. And I think a lot of developers who are just starting out fresh out of college, you could go into a f- roughly $50,000 job. I think a lot of people would take that as a starting point. So even the low end, which by the way, that search of all the related searches is the lowest by far by about $20,000, well, I guess $10,000, the next closest one, but that's not even really tightly related to PHP uh, SQL analyst developer 61,000. If you look at just the pure PHP ones, it's about $20,000 between junior PHP developer and the rest of the searches. So. That's the low, 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 end is 51,000 as a starting point. So that's good to look at to give you some idea of the range. Okay. And we'll talk about the upper limits here in a little bit. Now, senior PHP developer, then the average is 87,000. So that starts to give you maybe a little bit of a more of an indicator of what the top range could be for a PHP developer. We have other terms like lead PHP developer. So the average salary for that is 96,000. Then we have things like PHP WordPress developer, which is 73,000. We have a Drupal web developer, which the average salary is 102,000. Now, this is why I love looking at stuff like this. Now, if you were to sit back and you were to look at the market and just think about it without any numbers, would you think that Drupal web developer would have just a dramatically higher average salary than the any of the other ones that are here, especially almost thirty thousand higher than WordPress developer. I mean, I know me. If you just asked me that, I would I wouldn't have thought it was that big of a difference. But here, actual data off shows that Drupal web developer. On average, the average that's being advertised in D.com is 102,000. So that makes you go, hmm, maybe if I'm going to get into PHP development, Drupal might be the route to go. Especially given the fact that Drupal is not, I mean, is anybody really talking too much about Drupal right now? I, I mean, maybe. I'm not in that community. So that just gives you some insight about where you might want to go. Now, again, I'll always say, you know there's prob the the reason that salary is that much higher is probably because there's a lot fewer jobs so you're probably more likely to get a job as a wordpress developer but if you get the drupal job you're likely to be paid more so again these things are just they're they're interesting to look at because these kind of things start to to come out at you and you start to see some of the differences here so all that to say those are some of the real salaries and averages that are out there for different types of PHP development. And again, across the board, on average, PHP developer on Indeed.com is getting a salary of $87,000. All right. So that was what I initially covered in my original video and had talked about. And then that's when the question came up about, well, can you talk about the salary journey of the first five years and the skill levels and titles and so forth? And so I'll talk to you a little bit about my journey. Now, my journey is different because this question talks about working for a company. And I've never really worked for a tech company in the traditional sense. And I'll describe what that means. So I started out, all, I think it's over 11 years now in freelance web development, right about the time I got back from Iraq. Now, when I say that, what I mean is, I wasn't good at freelance web development then, but that's when I really started trying to do it. And I did get some jobs there early on in that first year. So I think I can legitimately say that I was actually doing it because I was getting work and so forth, but it wasn't a ton. I was having to work a a regular job and do this on the side. So, you know, I've been through that whole, whole thing of, trying to to do freelance on the side of a regular job, trying to switch over to the tech industry, you know, struggling with, I struggled with freelancing for a lot of time or a lot of years, like a lot of people message me about, I understand all that. I've been through all of that. I get where that comes from, okay? So when I first started out as a, as a freelancer, I started out at $25 an hour. Now, what's funny to me is, You know, when you talk about web development, you talk about $25 an hour. Most web developers are like, oh, gosh, that's nothing. You're getting paid pennies. And when you look at it from the perspective of how many hours of work you actually get and can it pay all your bills and so forth, that's true. Like $25 an hour, you're going to have to get a lot of hours. It gets difficult to get enough hours to be able to do it full time at that salary range. But. $25 an hour at that point in my life, you know, I was in my early 20s. That was more money than I'd ever been paid per hour off the bat. And I think that's good to keep in perspective is, yes, $25 an hour may be low for our industry as a freelancer and so forth, but gosh, it's certainly, I mean, that was just a little less than double the most I I had ever been paid in my life at that point. So it was still a significant amount of money, and especially as a side gig, I mean, I was making a couple extra thousand a month once I kind of got going a little bit on the side of a a regular job that I had. So it was nice. Once I got it going, it was nice to do that, but it's also a lot of work. And so I quickly realized that I was running myself ragged, and. I moved, the next jump I made was actually up to $50 an hour. So I doubled my salary. And, you know, I obviously got less clients as a result of that. You have clients who have a higher expectation. They become a little bit more. It's interesting at $25 an hour, people are pretty loose with the hours that you send them. But when you get up to about 50, then they start to get a little tighter with... <laughs> with the hours, and so not only did I not get as many clients, but the clients that I had, I got a little bit less work. But I, there's no question. Overall, I made more money, and I was happier because even if I had made the same amount of money, I was working half as, half as many hours. And that was that's really the thing. Like again, we get so caught up in the the money numbers, but for me, getting I was getting more money. But I was working less hours than I, I was before. And that to me is the sweet spot uh, when it comes to freelancing is being able to, to incrementally make the same or more money while working less hours to the point that you can maybe you know, work a few hours a day and you've made a decent amount of money. So the jump from 20, I think the thing that people would ask when you go from 25 to 50 is so, what did you change? What was different? And my answer is nothing. Nothing was different other than my confidence to do it. When I, so the, I think the dividing line when you know you're ready to make the jump is when you're really, really, really annoyed that you're only getting paid $25 an hour. When you're very frustrated with the fact that you're doing what you're doing for a particular client or set of clients and you're getting $25 an hour. And it's really frustrating to you, and you feel like, gosh, this is—I don't. This is not what I was. When you start questioning and (laughs) and you start to really rethink everything, that's when you know, okay, I need to. It's time to make a change here. And so that's where I was at. I was just—I was working a lot of hours. I was making good money, but I just felt like I was not getting what I deserved. And so, especially because. after a few years uh i you know i was building things really really quickly for people and so a particular project was netting me less and less hours because i was just building it so fast and so i started to notice that the the amount of income i made per project as i got better was actually going down and that's not how it should really be in my mind necessarily so Anyway, when I jumped from 25 to 50, I just decided one day. Now, how did I handle past clients? I actually told them. I said, "I will continue to work for you at $25 an hour for the next 3 months. And then after those 3 months, I'll go up to $50 an hour and you can decide if you want to continue to hire me or not." And I did lose a couple clients, but I would the the majority of the clients stayed on and had no problem. And you know, we're happier as a result because I was more available, because now I had less clients and I had less stuff going on, um, because I was making more money per hour, so I could actually dedicate more time to the clients. All right, my next jump then was up to a hundred dollars an hour, and it's important for for me to note in between the fifty to a hundred dollars an hour, I had, so I I had been hired as a freelancer, by a company on a, essentially a retainer basis. So, and I had done this with a couple people, but this company was the one that I've been with for, you know, I've been with this client for uh, over six years now, but they hired me on a retainer basis. So they were basically paying me, it it was almost like an employee relationship, but I was still I wasn't an employee of theirs. I was still a contractor. And they were paying me a monthly kind of stipend instead of paying me hourly. And then they just, I basically gave them, I mean, I love the situation. So I basically gave them, you know, I did whatever they needed. Gave them pretty much full unlimited access uh, because it was such a sweet, uh, a sweet setup for me. And so... I was doing a lot of work for them in this whole process and I kind of got to the point where I really didn't need and necessarily want a bunch of other clients. I would do side stuff that was easy for me to do. If I could deliver on it quickly, I would do it. If if it was lucrative enough for me, I could do it. But I got to the point in my mind where I just didn't want a ton of other clients because I had this suite set up with this company. And so, I raised my price to $100 an hour assuming that nobody would hire me, essentially. That was really my mindset was nobody will really hire me and if they do, while well, they're paying me $100 an hour. I mean, shoot, <laughs> I guess I'll take it. But that was my whole mindset. Well, turns out that that did turn some people away but not like I thought. There were still plenty of people that would hire at $100 an hour. And so I continued to work on the side. It became really hard, and this is one of the things I'm going to caution you with freelance when you really get going and start having success. It was really 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 hard to say no to that kind of money. And so I got in a habit of taking on jobs where I knew I didn't have the time, I knew I really didn't want to do it. I knew I was going to have to overwork myself in order to deliver, and I would gut it out, but I was I was frankly miserable as a result of it. Because at all this other work I was doing for this other company, and then I was doing all this side work that I couldn't I just couldn't say no to. And so just as a word of caution as you get going here, I think that moment happens for everybody and you have to learn how to balance it. I'm not saying you should turn down every job, but you really gotta find the balance. It's not always just about the money. And then, you know, from there is when I really, because of the, the frustration and so forth, that's when I really made the switch into this whole idea of end results and services as a product and selling on value. And I almost eliminated the hourly rate and I started delivering on products. And so if you go to my hire me page now, com slash hire, you'll see that there's no hourly rate on there. It's actually just three different options for three different things that, are, that, that look like products and, and kind of are, but they're services as well. I mean, they're, they're web development design services. And for me, that was the switch that really kind of made things, took, took things to a whole new level because the things I was delivering, and this is why I harp on this to you guys constantly, were things I had built time and time again. Before that, I had all the code for it. I marketed it in a specific way so that my delivery was easy. I could deliver in just a, a few hours at most if I was really lazy a couple days. And, the, and these were primarily WordPress projects. Another reason why I harp on it. And the hourly rate that I was getting as a result was, you know, depending on how quickly I wanted to work, it was three, four, five hundred $500 an hour. Because I was getting paid $3,000 or $5,000 for a site, and it was only taking me a handful of hours to complete. I mean, a $3,000 site, even if that took me 10 10 hours, that's still $300 an hour. So that was when things really kind of changed for me freelancing-wise. In mixed with all that, the company that I was working on retainer for said hey by the way do you just want to become an employee and so for uh, I think three years maybe two years two or three years I worked for them as an employee and then I went back to working as a contractor with them and so that's why I say my journey has been kind of intermixed I've done So I've done the freelancing thing. I've done retainer clients, which is kind of, I think when people hear that, they think, is that even possible? But I've actually done it with multiple clients, kind of like a lawyer or so forth. You'll see that a lot in those industries. i had done that with several different clients. And then I've done the employee thing. It was, when I became an employee, I really, I mean, nothing really changed. It was just different the way that I got paid and so forth. I still work from home. I still basically set my own hours and so forth. But uh, I was an employee on their books. But and then I again, I went back to being a contractor and peer freelancer uh, a little bit later. So that's kind of been my journey. It's really unorthodox. um, But that's some of my thinking that goes into it. I want to make sure, though, that I talk about a more traditional situation. And this is you, you know if you've heard me talk about Mike P before and I've done some interviews with him and so forth his is probably a more traditional type role and now it's not purely he he wasn't purely hired for PHP and so forth but it, it gives you a similar idea of 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 what can happen so i want to make sure and cover kind of his path cuz i know it really well and there's some i want to point out kind of the key for this Employee type situation and and some of the things that you're going to want to do. So he started out at IBM as an entry level Java application developer. And when he started out there, I think he was making around $40,000 a year starting out. So a little bit less than what the junior level at PHP is, but still for him at that time, I know was, you know, that was, he was, you know, in college at the time. He'd been working a factory, in a factory before that. And so it was, I think that was the most he had ever made in any job before in his life as well. And so he went into IBM and then he was there, I think a few years and he'd happened to work on some projects. He'd gotten into working with a particular piece of software that if you don't know, IBM essentially contracts out it's developers to other companies. So you might have a company like Google that needs developers for a certain project. Well, IBM will hires and trains developers to be good at all these different things. So they have all of these different products and so forth, and then they'll essentially kind of contract out their developers to these other companies. Well, he had been working on a project and with a company that's very well-known, big company, big tech company, and he was working on this particular piece of software, and he had shown that he was someone who was motivated, was intelligent, and had you know really kind of started to take over the project a little bit, and was kind of doing everything and making making sure everything was working and bringing up uh, all the important points and so forth. It got to the point where everybody else had been taken off that project because of this big tech company had basically told IBM, look, we don't, what we're paying for here, we're not necessarily getting with all these developers. And so we want, you know, we want everybody gone except this one guy. Well, that was him. And so he became, it, it really gave him a lot of leverage within IBM and the, the the projects he was working on and so forth because this one company who was very important only wanted him working on their stuff and as a matter of fact it got to the point where they had offered him to come work for them as a freelancer on the basically leave ibm and come work for us we'll pay you x in the hundreds of dollars an hour to work for us we're not going to hire you as an employee but come work for us as essentially a contractor they had offered him that and he i think he had turned it down But it gave him a ton of leverage. And this is the thing that I want to, when it comes to uh, employee-employer type relationships and you were moving up inside of an actual tech company as an employee, is this idea of leverage. So that had given him a ton of leverage. Well, again, he was working at IBM. There were some people that had left and gone to this other company. And when they got who, who also was a major consulting company for this same piece of software that he had, he had been basically running on this other project. And when they got over there, they immediately told this other company, hey, you need to get this guy over here. And so they did their research and found out all about the stuff that had happened and so forth. And they approached him. And to his credit, he used his leverage. And so he told them, look, I'll only leave IBM because of what it is as a company. And there's so much more growth potential and so forth. I'll only leave if you pay me X number of dollars. And so, and it was significantly more than what he was getting paid at IBM. And so they said, yes, we'll we'll pay you that. And then he went back to IBM and said, hey, look, this company has offered me this job, they're going to pay me this, I wanted to give you the opportunity to, you know, if you want me to stay here to match or whatever. And he, he used that leverage back and forth when he was actually able, he ends up leaving IBM and going to this other company, but was able to get a higher salary from them out of it by leveraging back and forth. Now, and he's since done that, I think twice more, with the and he's still at that same company, but he's had other companies try and come and pull him away, and he's used that to leverage up his salary to get. I think he got his he's getting his degree, uh, MBA paid for a number of other things, and he used that leverage of being a very high valued employee to be able to do that. Now, as soon as I say that, and this is ultimately where I'm driving with all of this. As soon as I say that, I know that there's those of you listening to this going, oh my God, that's dirty. And what I want to say is, if you think, I mean, people love to talk about, you get all these people who love to talk about these evil corporations who only care about profit and et cetera, et cetera. Well, if that's true... Do you really think, or even if it's not true, but even if it's just they're they're not evil, but they are focused on profit and efficiency and so forth? if that's true, do you think that they're going to give you more money than they absolutely have to? Do you think they're going to pay you one more penny than they absolutely have to in order to keep you ninety nine point nine percent of the time they're not. And so you have to be willing to to create, you have to be smart enough and work hard enough and be good enough at what you do to create leverage and then be willing to use it. And I've seen him do it time and time again. I've done it in both the client side and employee side of the different places where I've worked. You have to be willing when you get into a job any job, your first focus should be on creating leverage. And what I mean by that is becoming so valuable that they can't imagine not having you there. Whether if it's a big company, that's just your project immediate project manager, or if it's a smaller company, the CEO of the company. But being so valuable that they can't imagine you not being there. And one of the best ways to do that is to infest, so to speak, all different parts, as many different parts of the really, really important parts of the company as you can. What that looks like is, and this goes back to what Mike P talked about in the interview I did with him, is taking on things that other people don't want to do and often say no to and taking on and being involved in as many different projects as you can, even if you don't think that you have the skill set saying, yes, I don't know, but I'll learn and getting involved and having your hands is in as many different things as possible. The more you are just embedded into the fabric of the company, the more just inherently valuable that they're going to see you as, because if they lost you, it's not just like one person off of one team. It's somebody who has their kind of tentacles stretched in all these different parts of the companies. They might have to replace five or six people if they lost you. So that is the approach to take. And so, you know, again, going back to him uh, staying on track here, he, he was able to do that to leverage himself from a, a junior Java application developer up to... A senior level consultant, and obviously, as we saw before, the difference between a junior PHP developer and a senior PHP developer is about thirty thousand uh, dollars. You know, the difference between a junior avica- uh, Java application developer and a senior consultant, I can tell you, is about sixty to seventy thousand dollars. So, there's a lot of potential there, especially in these tech companies. There's even more places that you can go. And frankly, if you work for a company and learn a very highly specialized skill that these big, te- this is again, this is kind of what he's done, that a lot of these big tech companies need and want and rely on, you could leave that company and make even more. You could go out and freelance on your own and, be getting actually paid three or $400 an hour to consult. That kind of thing is possible. So hopefully that gives you some insight into some of the different inner workings as it relates to salaries and titles and, and revenue and so forth. Uh, and generally the advantage, you'll make more money out on your own as a freelancer or consultant, etc, if you do it right, you'll generally make more money I mean for example, you know IBM might let's say they pay a developer fifty dollars an hour well the client that uh, is is hiring to get that developer is might be paying one hundred and fifty dollars an hour, and they have this whole sophisticated system of figuring that out of different you know, different titles and different projects and so forth. This is what you're worth to the company in terms of your hourly rate. And then you you know what you're making as an hourly rate, but it's, you know, as a working for a company in that situation, it's a, it's about a third, maybe half of what they're actually charging the client on the other end. So going out on your own, you can definitely, uh, I think it's a general rule. There's obviously some exceptions, but I think in the most cases you can make more money doing it if you if you have a clear idea of what you're trying to do, uh you know what you're doing. The the difference is is that you have to market yourself. You have to you have to go out and get the work, so there's more work involved with it at least initially to get yourself set up. But I think at the end of the day you can you can make more money uh going out on your own. All right, so I'll leave it there. Hopefully again that gives you some insights into the whole salary issue uh some of the different things that i've been through some of the different things that that people i know have been through in terms of their journey the biggest thing in my mind is to get started because you would be surprised it's not as difficult you know the the people that <laughs> you know mike p has told me some horror stories of some of these really big big companies that you would think everything is just ducks in a row, straight as an arrow, and it's, uh, it's. I mean, I spent 11 years in the military, and a lot of people think the military is that way, and I can tell you from experience that I'm just, I chuckle every time I hear someone say that kind of thing, because I'm like, you would not, you would be shocked at how just haphazard so many things are uh, in the military, and usually when I talk to Mike P, he's, yeah, it's not much, too much different in the big big corporations tech corporations and so forth <laughs> so it's people don't know as much as what they like to let on are they don't have their stuff in a row as much as like they they like to let on so if you're someone who's hardworking, you can be organized you can be self-motivated you can be focused you, know, you can be what we all think we are supposed to be when it comes to being an employee and a worker and so forth then you can really go far uh, in this industry, because there's tons and tons and tons of opportunity available, especially for good people. But again, the big thing is just to get started. All right, so that'll do it for this episode. Appreciate you listening. If you'd like to take your PHP career to the next level, consider joining my free PHP mini course, which will kind of get you. Into the kind of the beginner's guide to PHP and get you started down that path, you can learn more and enroll for free at johnmorrisonline.com/slash/learn-php. If you like this episode, be sure to like it so they know that you like this kind of content. If you know somebody who'd benefit from hearing it or would like to know the answers to these questions, I'd appreciate it if you share it with them. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Again, these are the podcast only. Episodes. You won't find these on YouTube. You can find them and subscribe on Android, on iTunes, and on SoundCloud. So, John Morrisonline.com slash iTunes for your Apple device, John Morrisonline.com slash Android for your Android device, and John Morrisonline.com slash SoundCloud for desktop, Android, mobile. It's on pretty much everything. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time.